Welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. This podcast explores what it means to make life less difficult for each other and for ourselves. We share stories of struggles and successes because we believe sharing our stories eases the difficulty of life. I'm Lisa Tilstra, your host. Let's jump in to today's conversation. My guest today is Federica Vinci. Federica is the deputy mayor of Acernia, Italy. She's a recognized Obama leader, Europe 2020, as well as a co-founder of Volt Italia, shaking up politics with activist campaigns and strategic election planning. Federica's background includes international public administration and community organizing, with stints as a Harvard's Kennedy School teaching fellow and a policy leader fellow at the European University Institute. Federica and I met through our mutual friend, Russ Watts, a familiar name here on Make Life Less Difficult podcast. And Russ had met Federica through Noel, who has also been a guest on the podcast. The connections like this that happen make my heart very joyful. Federica is co-creating an ethical political leadership program for aspiring politicians, especially women from Southern Italy. She lives in Acernia, finds joy in horse show jumping, and shares her home with her boyfriend, her cat, and her horse. As you listen to our conversation, you may find in yourself a surprising desire to explore the world of politics, particularly the purpose and value-driven approach that Federica takes and is helping others discover. There are links in the show notes to connect with her and learn more about this amazing work that she's doing. One quick note on some technology glitches. Throughout our conversation, our internet connection was slightly unstable, meaning a word here and there gets a bit distorted. My apologies for this, and I request your patience as you listen. Fortunately, I don't think it takes away from the great message and the inspiring stories Federica shared. Federica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for sharing these pieces of your journey. Thank you for sharing boldly, bravely, vulnerably, and with your priceless passion. May your work grow exponentially around the globe because humanity needs leaders like you. Federico, welcome to the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Thank you very much. It's a real pleasure to be here. It is such an honor to get to have this conversation with you today. And so fun to think about the connections of how we met through Russ, through Noel, and both of them have been on the podcast. So something I love about this this opportunity is just to continue to get to know amazing people and have these conversations. So thank you. Thank you. I, if you think about the way in which we connected, it's, I think it's really peculiar for the simple fact that we are from two completely different parts of the world. We might have not had, had any connection in common because there are, there's like no like real, we've never met, we've never seen each other. I've never met the people that connected each other, yet <laughs> life is weird on some aspects. And those people that connected us, one in particular, Noel, is so close to me, even though we've never seen each other, that it was sort of destiny that it brought like the, the line, the red line connected us up to be here today. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful network of of connections that's continuing to grow. So I'm so glad that we are now connected. So Federica, as we begin, I have so many different questions for you. And I'm really looking forward to jumping into your story. But I'm going to start with the one question that I ask all of my guests, which is around this idea of making life less difficult 
The title of the podcast from comes from a quote by Marianne Evans. What do we live for if not to make life less difficult for each other? And I am very interested to hear when you hear that, what does it mean to you? Hmm. When you told me about the title of the podcast, I was like, I was, I was not really sure about whether I thought that life was difficult in the first place because I'm, I'm a life lover. I love life. I'm not saying that I've had an easy life, but I've loved profoundly my life so far. So I was like, huh, how can be something that I love so much difficult? Mm-hmm. But then I started thinking about all the things that I love. Um, my, my boyfriend, horse riding, politics, my family, and all of them are really tough and difficult situations to handle. So yeah, I think that life is hard indeed. It is difficult. But to me, there are two ways in which you can make it less difficult. First one is loving them profoundly, loving it profoundly, so that you know that when you love something so much, it doesn't matter how hard it is, you love it. So it will, whatever difficulties will pass and you will still be there to appreciate the greatness that surrounds you. Mm. And the second thing is approach every difficulty that comes possibly with joy. Which is not meaning like being positively, like being toxically positive. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you always have to be happy or positive, but if you have an underlying level of joy that gives you the strength to know that whatever difficulty in life happens might be temporary and might be part of your full experience and you embrace and accept this full experience of life, then life becomes less, less difficult. So that's my way of making it less difficult somehow. Mm. Beautiful. Both points are so beautiful. And I just, I love and feel myself filled with joy as you express your love for life and the passion that's present there. And also then identifying, like looking around and saying these things that you do love and are passionate about. Yep. They have their difficult aspects as well. And, and yet, yeah, like, getting to that place where there is the joy that is the foundation and, and life is, life is this paradox of the, the difficult and the wonderful and the, the joyful and the, the sad. And so it is, um, it's quite a journey. I think so. I think so. My, it's been quite a journey so far. Yeah. Yeah. So Federica, let's start with something that you just shared with me before we started recording, which is just a a really exciting opportunity that you had where you were interviewed by Barack Obama, former president of the US. Jump in and tell us that story. Okay. Um, Small disclaimer for who's listening. Um, A little bit like we met, there was no way in the world in which logically I would have ever met Barack Obama, not even being interviewed by Barack Obama. So, because I, so like a little bit of background, I come from a very, very small town in the south of Italy. I've been studying abroad. I've learned English. I, I, I created a political party because I was not satisfied with the way in which politics was done and perceived. Um, I came back to my hometown because of COVID and then I decided to run 
um, for the elect like local elections because I really thought that I wanted to do something for my community on the ground. Um, but that was it. I was living my life as deputy mayor up to one point in which uh, I was a friend of mine proposed me to become an Obama leader in 2020. So I did the application and I was accepted because I was like doing something that um, people that do it generally do not talk about it. So it was just, I just came back to my hometown, which is a very small, conservative, um, even like narrow minded sometimes uh, place in the south of Italy. And there I decided to take a group of like young people put them together run for elections and change the way in which politics is done and do really practical things and I had this idea of expanding this model in the rest of the region so I applied to the Obama Foundation with this program they accepted me and for six months I followed the program with a leadership program with them which helped incredible incredibly but that was it after two years um, I received an email by the Obama Foundation saying, look, Federica, we've been looking, like we've been following your work on the ground. Um, you've been doing great. Um, and uh, we're looking for someone to be interviewed on stage in the, the, the Copenhagen Democracy Summit, which is the summit where like all leaders from the democratic world meet to discuss about politics. And this year, we don't want to talk about some big politicians who's changing the world um at the international national level but we want to really put the focus on people who are doing work on the ground so we would love if Barack Obama could interview you and yeah. I was like well <laughs> that was massive yeah. that was like um huge yeah I, I was not expecting it um but it was really I mean it was nice to know that the tough word because the thing is that when you do work on the local level no like you're not really noticed um and it's it's a really tough job but it was nice to be known to know that you were noticed mm -hmm. and so i flew to copenhagen i arrived in copenhagen first thing i lost my luggage oh, no. so um i got all the you can imagine all the clothes perfectly selected for the most important interview of my life Got yeah. to Copenhagen, lost it all. Oh my goodness. Day after, I ran to a Zara. I started looking around and I find, I mean, to me, it was the perfect outfit. I had to buy new outfit, new shoes. You can't imagine what it means finding new shoes when you have to meet Barack Obama. <laughs> and then bought everything, dressed up, fun thing. I had also, so it was like right in the moment of the middle of the Ukrainian war and we had some Ukrainian people flying in. So everybody was asked to bring some more clothes for the Ukrainian girl. And I found myself going into and knocking into the room of the closet for the Ukrainian girl. I was like, look, I'm sorry, I'm not from Ukraine, but I completely lost my luggage. I just need some help. They were really nice. They helped me out. So I got some new, mixed some new clothes and Ukrainian girl clothes. And then I went on stage and there was, he was there. He was waiting for, it was the three of us talking about our work. And I was interviewed for an hour and a half on what it means to do politics in a different way and like how can we change the way in which politics is perceived by people from the local level to international one and mm -hmm. it, I think it's been one of the most incredible experiences of my life 
Wow. And to add to just the incredible aspect of it, then you had the additional complication of losing your luggage. Fun. Yes. And the fact that you share this story with that smile on your face and the energy. And I mean, it just reflects the, not just your energy, but your willingness to jump in and handle the problems that come up, which I imagine is part of your everyday life in the world of politics as well. I Yeah, definitely. If one thing I've learned is really to like understand that problems are part of life. Mm-hmm. And you have to like you have to accept these challenges as part of your experience. So you know when I when I saw that my luggage was not coming out, I was like, "Is there anything I can do? Either I can start crying and saying I'm not going to go on stage because I don't have my clothes, or I just go to Zara buy something else and ask some random people if they can borrow me stuff." And I and this is like the way in which I have learned to face any challenge for the simple fact that my it's the only thing the 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 question that I always ask myself is okay what can I do now Mm. and if the answer generally the answers are like two ways one is despair and one is try to find a solution Mm. and since you can despair for like five minutes but this is not going to bring you anywhere unless despair is part of your strategy to find a solution to the problem then you always go to the I mean I try to go always to the okay let's try to understand how I can fix it um and and I think this is also part of what I was telling to you before in terms of like the joy that you have underneath so yeah you know it it was not nice that I lost luggage for example but um if you I was happy about the fact that I was going to meet Barack Obama it's and it's like the same thing with the challenges that I have in politics it might be that I got a project finance for less budget than I had previewed so I might have to go and do some cuts or go and ask for people to lower their costs that's okay it's not nice but what's what's like your main objective what is it that you want to achieve and how can you achieve it despite the challenges that you're facing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah something I, I hear in what you're sharing is almost like this remembering to zoom out to keep the big picture in mind, the greater goal, the greater desired outcome, because all of the the details can be difficult. And, and yet if we keep that bigger picture in mind, it can, we can keep the energy, we can keep the focus and and stay focused on the things that we can do something about. Absolutely. So I think that there are two things that you have to keep in mind when you have to face challenges, right? First one, as you're saying, is how you make sure that you step back from the problem enough to understand the bigger picture behind the problem, Mm. right? So that's why it's really important to know, like, what is it your vision? What is it your purpose? What is it that you want to achieve in the medium long term? Why are you doing what you're doing? Because you're going to have challenges that are going to make you feel like you have to stop. Like a, a concrete example, I'm having, I'm struggling a lot with politics right now, especially at the local level, because um, it, it is sometimes really petty and it is sometimes really tough in terms of uh, people dynamics. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of jealousy, power plays, um, uh, stopping behind the backs. And sometimes with like not because of you or what you're doing, but because you're an obstacle for someone else to reach and achieve power. 
Um, so this becomes really hard and really tough to sustain. The, how do you sustain it? It's just by remembering yourself that you're there for the long run and you're there because there are certain objectives that you want to achieve. So you can step back by those people that are stabbing you momently and realize that this stab that they're making you right now bleeds a lot, but tomorrow is going to be a scratch. Hmm. Um, so the first one is stepping back. And the second one is exactly the, like knowing your purpose. Hmm. Because if you deeply know the, the reason for your, the choices that you make and the position that you held and the job that you're doing, then this makes it easier for you to step back and think about re like reconsidering the whole pic the whole picture. Yeah. There is so much wisdom in what you're sharing. And I I want to just open it up for you to to take us on the journey from where it makes sense Federica some people, I think there's a few people out there who know from early in their life, they want to be involved in politics and they study the appropriate things in university to prepare them for that. And from the little bit that I've learned about you, that wasn't your lifelong goal to get into politics. This has come as a surprise. So I'd love for you to share about how you got here. And then secondarily, and, and I'll let you decide how to weave this together, the work that you're doing now around values and purpose in politics, I think is so incredibly impactful. So I'm going to stop talking and just let you take us on the journey. Right. So brace yourself because this is going to be quite a journey. Um, as I was telling you before, I was born and I grew up in this super small town, Isernia, which is my hometown. And I was grown up by a single mom. Um, she was one of the first divorced women in the entire town, which meant that, and she was an activist as well. So everybody knew her, mm -hmm. everybody knew her. So everybody knew me, which meant that no matter what I did, I knew that I had to behave. Just to give you like a, a practical example, I was walking in the little alleys of my hometown. I was 14 years old, hand in hand with the, my, at the time, little boyfriend. And it's 6, 7 p.m. It's dawn time. And you're there. You're looking each other into your eyes. And you're there about to give him the first kiss. And he's just like coming closer to you but at one point you stop because you remember that in this alley it's not just you and your boyfriend it's you your boyfriend and 42 old women that are looking at you <laughs> from their windows with their phone on their hand and your mom's phone number already dialed ready to call her if those boyfriend hands would have gone anywhere if they were not their pocket wow. his pocket this is where I was growing up, which was like, it gave me, gave me a huge sense of community. I didn't have to have babysitter. I didn't have to have nobody watching me because I had a huge community watching over me, hmm. but it was somehow frustrating and limiting as well, because I knew that I was the daughter of Paula, my mom, and I didn't really have the space to understand who I was. Hmm. It was 
until I was 14 years old. Because when I was 14 years old, my mom, and she's always been really, really smart about it. She was like, okay, look, you need to go abroad and you need to learn English um, because you will need for work. At the time, I really didn't understand what it meant. I understood it later on. But I was like, okay, you know what? I'm, I, let's try. I really want to see and I'm curious to understand what it means to go abroad and, and see other culture. I've always been really curious. And then she was so empowering. And I was like, yeah, sure, let's go. And I remember this moment in which I landed, I landed into London and I was 14 years old by myself going to a host family for the first time. And I knew the moment at the moment that I had to be scared. But the first thing that I felt, it was like freedom. I felt free for the first time in my life. Not because I had to do God knows what, but simply because nobody knew me. Nobody knew my mom. Nobody had my mom's phone number apart from my whole family. So this was a huge revelation for me. I had this understand was what I wanted to be, what part of my character I wanted to explore more without being seen. And this started to happen every year up until I was 19 years old. So to me, every year meant that I had the summer to take a flight, go to Europe, learn a language, and then come back. Mm-hmm. And the sense of freedom became so much, and I attached it to so much the idea of the European Union that slowly I started to fall in love to fall in love with the idea of the European Union itself mm-hmm. so when I had to decide what I wanted to do when I grew up I was like okay I want to go and work for the European Commission and I want to be a policymaker to make sure that Europe my home stays strong and healthy mm-hmm. so I studied I studied politics philosophy and economics then I started doing international public management and while I was doing my master's I still remember today I was my best friend degree French English Scotland we were in Dundee super small town Scottish town surrounded by European Union flag because not only that night was her her celebration but it was also the night in which they were voting for Brexit oh wow but we were in Scotland we were happy drinking talking with Scottish people that have always been uh, pro you. And we were like, oh, you know, who's going to ever vote for Brexit? This is never going to happen. We all love so much the European Union. Hmm. Well, we sort of all know how it went. Yeah. And uh, the day after, I woke up and I realized that what I thought it was like my strong, solid home was not really so strong and solid. And it was just a matter of luck that it was her and not me mm-hmm. and she had a degree in her hand and she was like this is a european degree if i'm not part of europe anymore what am i going to do with it so this was having really real impact on her life yeah so i started looking around and i was like i was sure that there was something that we could do but I don't, didn't know what. Like I started to join this uh, NGOs that were marching for Europe, but they were fewer and fewer and fewer. And then at one point I had to like face the fact that the problem was politics. Mm-hmm. To me, the problem was the fact that, first of all, I had never been involved in politics. And politics is the one that makes this kind of decision. Mm-hmm. 
And as I was not involved, my older generation was not involved. Because for us, politics has always been something like financial scandals, sexual scandals. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it was more of a soporer. Then where I started, more realized that every single law that governs our life, every single aspect, even though even what we are taught at school, the way we speak, the way we are educated, the climate, the transportations that we take, everything is governed by politics. And so I was like, but if everything is governed by politics, yet the idea that we have a politician is like the worst people that we could ever imagine in any position how does it work that we are still trying to be governed and we are governed right now by the worst people that we think are getting there yeah this realization really hit me and as it hit me hit it so many people around europe of my generation i was 25 at the time um and we all together decided to try to do something mm. that was completely different from what we have seen before. So we decided to found our own political party oh. um, that was transnational because we can't imagine that we can face challenges like Brexit or climate change or an aging population or migrations if we still think through like borders. Yeah. Um, and we wanted it to be grassroots. Because we thought that we had to reconnect people and politics mm-hmm. through concrete activism, so not just elections, and through elections, because the positions of power, the elected positions of power, are the one that makes a decision about your life. Right. So we started with this incredible journey um, of a political party, our like newborn political party. We called it Volt, and uh, I started working as crazy to create this party around the continent. Um, then I decided to move back to Italy. I was living in France. I decided to move back to Italy. And in Italy, I started, we started developing this movement. And up until it grew to 800 people, we tried to run for the European elections. We started running elections everywhere. And I was so happy because I was working in my, like, I was following my dream of doing something from, for Europe, but something that was really meaningful to me. And I was working in these progressive hubs like Milan, Paris, Bologna, Rome. I was like, oh, this sounds super nice. We were growing and everything was going amazing until COVID blocked us down. Mm. So um, it was the beginning of March 2020, 2020. And I had just come back home, my super small town, the one that I tried to leave as much as I could whenever I could, mm-hmm. uh, for my grandparents anniversary came back super small suitcase with my computer a couple of t-shirts and a jeans and a pair of jeans um and i was celebrating with my grandparents we were having dinner together and at one point i read the news on television um italy is in lockdown um you cannot move from where you are wow and after my town the sense of um suffocation that it gave me i found myself blocked and probably my biggest nightmare to me was like a mix of azkaban and alcatraz it depends on like what movies you like Mm. um and for nine months i literally googled every morning 
how can I go to canneries, to Canary Islands in the middle of a lockdown? Obviously, wouldn't find anything. Mm. And after these nine months, I received a message on Instagram by a guy. And he was like, look, Federica, we've been doing, you've been doing so much in politics. Um, and we've been follow- I've been following you a lot. There are going to be elections in Isernia in one year. Why don't we work together and do something for the local elections? And I was like, me, in Isernia? Never. This is never going to happen. But then another guy texted me and said the same thing. And I was like, okay, you know what? If we are three, then we can start discussing about it. I'm, I'm going to help you. I'm not going to be involved personally, mm-hmm. but I'm going to help you. <laughs> Long story short, we put together a group of like 40 young people under 40. We started doing a lot of activism in my hometown. Um, we created this group that decided then uh, to run for the elections. We ran for the elections. We won the elections. I obviously was for, I was forced to run in the sense that I was like, okay, you know what? Now we're in. Let's get 100% in. Yeah. Uh, we won the election and I was nominated deputy mayor of my hometown. And wow. now I've been living in uh, Isernia with my horse, my cat. And fun fact, the first guy who texted me like two years and a half ago saying, said, telling me if we wanted to do something, but now we're living together. Oh. And he's my boyfriend. That's a good thing you said yes. (laughs) That's fantastic. Wow. That's like super long story of how and why I got into politics. That is amazing. What's your experience been like as deputy mayor? I mean, this was, again, not not your plan. You were like, okay, I'm willing to help. And now you've been deputy mayor. Like, what has this been like? I think that... On the one end, I rushed a little bit into the decision because I didn't know what it was like, what I was getting into. Um, so first of all, the, for the, the hardest thing for me is that I've never been settled for such a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, for 10 years, I've been moving around every single year. I've probably changed like, I don't know, 12 houses in six years, three countries. So for me, moving was my comfort zone. Oh, yeah. But now I've been in place for three years, more than three years and a half. Um, with and this kind of stability to me has been really struggling, like a, a real struggle, mm-hmm. uh, because I've I've never done it, and it, it was hard for me to understand that you could stay in one place and still be stimulated and still have passion for what you do and still love your job and your life. But now it's getting easier. Um, and so this was the first struggle. And the second struggle is that no matter how much you think you're ready for politics, no matter how much you study, what kind of job you do, um, the kind of experience that you had before, um, it, it is something really hard in the sense that I don't think that there is anything that prepares you to like what politics is in terms of the relationship with people in terms of the trust that you and then lose and then you can regain the power place and all of it. So I'm trying to navigate it all, but this experience really made me realize that we are missing something into politics, which is having politicians that are really connected to their values and that see politics as a mean to achieve 
goals that are connected to the needs of the communities. Hmm. So when you want to save when you want to save people, you become a doctor. Like probably if you become a doctor because you want to earn money, then at one point in your life you're gonna ask yourself some questions. Mm-hmm. But generally, you know why you become a doctor. If you ask people why they get into politics, most of them say, "Oh, because I wanna, I want change." And then you ask, "Okay, what kind of change do you want?" And it becomes very hard for many of them to get specific on what what is it that they're looking for because they get into politics with the best intentions but if you're not if you haven't done your work with values and purpose and what are your objectives what are the objectives of the communities that you're representing and what is it that you're bringing into politics through your community then you can have the best intentions but the environment because of the way in which politics has been perceived forever it's so toxic that it can easily eat you up yeah and that's on that's on the downside. On the positive side, the nice thing about politics is the fact that you want. I really see my position as a privilege. It's like I have the power to find solutions to problem, the power, the money, the community. So if you really know, for example, in my case, the reason why I came into politics is because I remember what it meant to be a teenager in Isernia, mm-hmm. and I was lucky because I had my mom that sent me abroad, but many of my friends have never even taken a flight. So they don't know what's there beyond this area. So my goal in politics in my hometown is to give these opportunities to, to young people that I was able to have because I was lucky. But I think it's profoundly unjust that your open-mindedness should depend on luck. Mm-hmm. So I'm working on a lot of projects for young people and with the European Union and Isernia so that they can have more opportunities because our territory is very small and and very isolated. And so I know what I want to do. I know why I'm doing it. Being in politics, I have the means to do it. So we are building a youth center for uh, people for, for young people between 10 years old and 35 years old with different opportunities for each age group. Um, we're winning European Union funds to make them leave Isernia and go have an experience abroad. We are generating like a startup incubator for those that want to try to have to become local entrepreneurs. So I would have, I would have never been able to do any of this if I wasn't in this position. Wow. Yeah. And it's so, it's so wonderful hearing you describe that. And I also recognize how rare it feels to be hearing a politician describe these actions that are being taken and the the benefit to the community, particularly the young people, right? Because that's, they are the future, right? We say that all the time. And yet it's like, we say it, but don't actually seem to take action and live into that. And that is what you are doing. And I think that is such a beautiful, beautiful thing. Thank you. I think I'm just, again, I'm just doing what, first of all, what makes me happy, because I think that this is the only way in which you can actually succeed in doing your job in the long term. And second, I'm literally just trying to solve problems in a position that I have, understanding that politics is a mean. It's a mean to achieve objectives and these objectives are sort of the intertwining between my 
passions and my needs and my community needs. Mm. How did you become clear on your own purpose and values? Hmm. That's a really good question. I did the work, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, when they say that understanding yourself is like a tough work and journey, yeah. it is. It takes time. So I was lucky enough to have two coaches and uh, my my therapist. And I went like five years ago, five, four years. That was it, actually. Two years ago, anyway, I, I was really struggling in understanding what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. Uh, and then there's another thing that, that helped, but I'm going to get there. So a um, few years ago, I knew that I wanted to do politics. I knew that I wanted to leave, like, <clears throat> that I wanted to change things. But I was also re- really fascinated by the aspect related to power and visibility. <clears throat> so despite I knew that I wanted to change things, there was still a part of me that was really attached to like gaining power or getting visibility. And this was mainly because um, I wanted to make my dad happy. I know that it's like a cliche, but I think it, at the moment it was really, really true. So um, in 2019, my dad died in a accident. And so at that moment, I found myself in a huge life crisis because I was like, okay, I realized at the moment that many of the things that I was doing, I was doing them for him. Wow. And I was like, what, what am I going to do now? Yeah. I, what am I going to do this thing? Who am I going to do these things for? Do they make me happy? No. And so in that moment, I started really asking questions to myself. First question was like, does it, like, you know, when you have this gap feeling, is it what I'm doing really what I want to do? Is it what I'm doing really, does it align with who I am, even though I don't know who I am, but does it feel like it aligns? And the answer was no, but I didn't know how to go forward. So that was the moment in which I asked for like help from a therapist and a coach. And we started working a lot on uh, like who I am, what I want, what makes me happy. And then I really realized that what made me happy is allowing people to achieve their maximum potential. And the reason why I was doing politics was not necessarily connected to like ideologies but because i think that if you don't have basic health insurance if you don't have basic education if you don't have your basic needs are not met and i think this is the 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 state job then there's no way you can think about how first of all who you want to be and second of all how can you be the best version of yourself right and so through this work i realized what made me feel myself the most and how it connects to politics and to what I do. Hmm. It is, I just want to take a moment to affirm and acknowledge the direction that you sought out in, in reaching out for help, right? After you lost your father, that can be quite a time of 
disruption and and feeling a bit lost and and you were and and not everybody I know in that position would say let me start working on myself let me start better understanding let me start working with a coach with a therapist what would you say Federica helped you go in that direction I think the realization that I didn't want to live an unhappy life hmm. So my parents were, are, are, my mom still is, I'm both, my dad was a boomer in the sense that they lived for who, like, for who they displayed they were, who they showed they were. So for them, what was really important was not really understanding what made them profoundly happy or what their bodies were, but really like, how big is your house or how much you earn per month or how many cars do you own or to me and for a long period of time like up until i was 26 when my dad died i was looking to find the same happiness in the same thing that I thought made me made them happy. And then I realized they didn't even make them happy. They were just, you know, so much involved into the hamster wheel. Not to even realize that the the life that they were having was not making them the happier they could have been. So I when my dad died, I realized that I based like simply I was not happy. And happiness and joy and fulfillment, they were part, so much important part of my life. And also feeling good with myself that I was like, I don't want to leave. It doesn't matter like if I'm not going to make anybody else happy. I want to find at least what makes me feel good with myself. And at that moment, I realized that I didn't have the toolkit, I didn't know how to do it. And so I thought, I mean, if I feel, if I break a, a, an arm or a leg, I go to a doctor because I don't have the tool to fix my leg. If I'm emotionally broke, broken, um, and I don't have the toolkit to fix myself emotionally, then I'm going to need help. And that's why I saw the help of someone that could have, you know, help me sort of fix me emotionally. And then you realize that you don't need to be fixed, blah, blah, blah. But that was the way in which I, I found out help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, such a beautiful analogy that you used, right? If you break an arm, obviously you go to a doctor, you go to a hospital because you know they have the equipment and the tools to fix it and help you heal. And the emotional brokenness that each of us have for a whole variety of reasons. I mean, historically has been largely ignored and in many cultures around the world is still actively ignored. And so I'm just really, I'm just really stuck, struck by your wisdom. Thank you. And that's like, my, as I was telling you um, before our conversation, I'm moving, like, I'm not, I'm still staying in politics, but I'm adding into my life the, like, an aspect of education to politicians because I feel like, so politicians decide about our lives, basically, if you want to really, like, put it, shrink it down. 
Right. And most of the time, politicians don't know what, why they're doing politics. And most of the time, full job because, like, random example, four months after that I was elected, I had to decide with whether I had to open or close the schools with COVID. If you have them closed, students are not going to learn as much as they can. If you let them reopen, then they might catch COVID, go back to their grandparents, because grandparents are still the nannies of our society in my hometown, mm-hmm. give it to them and probably kill them. Mm-hmm. So you, you have very tough decisions on your shoulders and you don't have the emotional support, mental support, and you're not even trained on understanding that you need it. Mm. Before you get into politics and when you go into politics, that's why now I'm like really trying to work on educating people before they get to politics so that they can have a toolkit, at least to understand when they need help. Mm-hmm. And then like the support they need once that they realize that they need this kind of help. Mm-hmm. So I think the work that you're doing now that you're starting to describe is so profoundly important in the world. And, and I, and I see it important for a couple of different reasons. Number one is I listened to your story, Federica, and I, and I listened to, you know, the things that you've been through and the perspectives that you take and the way that you approach politics. And my first response is we need more politicians like you, right? And hearing, hearing your story, it, it creates something in me that I think, oh, well, if, if that, what, if that, if that's what it means to be a politician, I might even be interested. Right? That's what I want to hear. That's exactly what I want to hear. That's exactly my goal. We need more good human beings in politics. Politics is not dirty. It's people that make it dirty. If we have good people, trained people, better people, profound and connected people into politics, then politics becomes as our people are shaped. We can shape the way in which politics is done, the policies that come out of politics, out of the way in which we shape we shape the people that get into politics. So my work from now on hopefully is going to be to shape people and help them having the tools to be good politicians. And when I say the tools, first of all, connect them with their values, their purpose, their goals. Second of all, articulating these goals. If you want to become a mayor, let me understand what you want to do for five years, how these goals connect to you and your community so that I know that you're going to be interested in school because you are connected to these goals, first of all. And third of all, I want to give you the means to achieve these goals technically with whatever kind of knowledge that you need in terms of, I don't know, artificial intelligence, climate change, migrations or whatever, but also mentally, emotionally and spiritually with coaching and leadership. Because otherwise you get in and you get lost. And we have so many lost people already mm-hmm. in something that decide about our lives that we really need to start thinking about how can we create more politicians and more leaders that are connected to themselves, their community centered goals, and they can achieve them because like, it's our future. It's our lives. Politics, it's what governs our lives. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to get into politics now. (laughs) (laughs) 
it started here in this conversation, if it ever happens. I think the second thing that I'm hearing that really, I just, I think, wow, there's such a huge need because if I, if I were to just think through my own life and say, okay, well, if I were to get into politics, the second thought that comes up is, wow, I know nothing about this world. And the education piece that you're talking about, I'd love to hear more about what you're doing to help people learn about what it's like and then find and know what kind of support along the way. Because it's not just something, oh, you do all by yourself. And it's 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 much it's like a team team sport almost. Yes, yes. Oh, and that's such another important thing. Okay. Um first thing. So there are three things that I want to underline in like where can you find support if you want to become a politician. So first of all, the work I'm doing. Um I just start I put together last August, so it's been a couple of months, a group of people that now is working to develop a school for ethical politicians hmm. where um, the idea, so for now it's going to be focused on young people, women and minorities in the south of Italy. We are working with an international foundation which is called Apolitical. I'm going to talk about it because it's another super important uh, meme if you want to get into politics. But we're working with this foundation and we are creating the whole structure for the school. And the idea is having classes of 30, 35 people where for nine months we provide them with some classes, both online and physical, where we teach three things. First of all, values, purpose. So why, who you are, what's your story and why are you getting into politics and why this is connected to your purpose? Second of all, objectives. What is it that you want to achieve? Why do you want to achieve these objectives? How these objectives connect to your communities? And why do you need politics to achieve these goals? Hmm. So that you're really connected. And third of all, what are the skills according to what is the level in which you want to run? What are the skills that you need, both ones that you are elected, to be elected, ones that you're elected, and in terms of technical knowledge, and emotional and mental support. Wow. So um, we want to um, look for young politicians that want to be our first class next year in September. We want to train them. We want to support them to run for elections and at their local levels, regional or national. And then with those that manage to get in, we want to create a network of peer-minded people and politicians because that's second problem of politics is loneliness. Um, once that you get into politics, even if you get with a really nice group of people, um, the way in which politics is structured, it makes you um, trust them less. Mm. So even after one year, a couple of years, you start trusting less your peers and you start being, feeling isolated somehow. Mm. And so this is another problem that we're trying to solve with a peer group of like-minded people. But this is my like what we're doing right now. Probably will be launching it in September next year. But even now, no matter what part of the world you are, there are already like schools for politicians or for aspiring politicians around the globe. Um, for example, in the US, you mentioned it. There's the brand new Congress in German. There is brand new Bundestag. 
same thing in France. Um, and, and if you go to this foundation website, it's called Apolitical, you can find all the different kind of school for aspiring politicians mm-hmm. that can help you out. But then third thing is that really when it comes to like, what is it that you need to know to become a politician? Technically, I would say not much because everything that you need to know, it's so diverse and you really need to know how to take decisions and uh, like how to prioritize in terms of like technical knowledge. But then you learn a lot on the job. What it's, I think, fundamental is knowing yourself. Mm-hmm. because it's such a hard and tough environment that it's easy to lose oneself if you're not extremely connected to why you're there so to whomever want to become a politician i'd say do the, do the job on yourself first and then think about embracing this journey because it's really easy to get lost yeah it makes so much sense makes so much sense it's incredibly inspiring and and thought provoking what you're doing and i i'm curious of how you what are you seeing how is the response are you seeing young people who are getting it and having the light come into their eyes and like me saying not that i qualify as a young person anymore but like saying um oh i could maybe even do this what are you seeing? Um, mixed feelings. So first of all, like let's define young. To me, young people are between that want to get into politics. I, I talk a lot with people between eighteen and twenty-five years old. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the youngest, so eighteen, nineteen, twenty. I'm finding it tougher, even because this is this is a generation that was heavily impacted by COVID, yeah. and uh, especially when you work with them on the ground you see that there's a big difference between how they socialize and the way in which, like even I did socialize or did politics in the, in high school. Um, we used, when I was like, when I was 18, we used to occupy school whenever we thought that something was wrong or we used to protest when we thought that something was wrong. So this was like a way in which politics got instilled into mm-hmm. us, even if, even a little bit at a time. Uh, many of the students for three years have not been into school or have been in school sort of randomly or never had the chance to like unite or to protest or to occupy their school. So they, they don't have, they don't know even about some means that they have to affect change. So they think that they cannot affect change at all. So the first thing that I've been working on is really empowering them in thinking that they can have an impact on the things that govern their lives and it's even prior to politics but then on the other hand there are young people like i'm um, mentoring a young girl um she's now 20 years old Uh, i've been her mentor for one year now and she wants to get one of her objective in, is to get into politics and start again from the local level. Now she's studying in university in uh, like not in Isernia abroad. Um, and she gives me so much hope because she told me that I inspired her, which to me is crazy because every time that I see her, I feel myself inspired to keep working 
on on what I'm doing. And I'm like, you have no idea. Like, I would have been so, like, devastated and exhausted right now if I couldn't see people like you that are just, like, even responding to what we're doing. So it's a tough work, but I see, like, tiny steps from young leader emerging that it gives me hope that, first of all, there is hope. And second of all, there must be because there's nothing, we're sort of in a, at the end of a cliff. Either we understand how to build a bridge with this generation, or we're just going to get down the cliff. And I, I'm not hoping that. Yeah. Yeah. Here's my question for you. And if you, if you prefer not to go down this path, we can, <laughs> we can go a different direction. When I look at the politicians, in my own home country of America, the percentage, I forget the exact percentage now, but I think it's over two thirds at the federal level, Congress and Senate are over the age of 65. And there's, there's, there's so many people who are just, they've been in politics for a really long time. They are in late 60s, 70s, even 80s. And I can appreciate the fact that people want to stay active and continue to contribute late in life. I, I can appreciate that. I also really see such a huge need for the mentoring. Like here you are at this point in life, mentoring someone else. And I have this desire to see some of our older, it doesn't have to be in politics, but anybody in the later stage of life, rather than trying to continue to directly do the work themselves, to see the possibilities when we mentor the younger generations. And it just seems like there's a huge gap there. And I don't know what your experience is in Italy and in, in Europe, but I don't have a really clear question about that, but I would just love to hear your thoughts on it. Oh gosh, there's so much to say about this topic. First of all, I think that people misunderstood the term active aging and they thought that active aging meant you need to keep working until you're dead, which is like not what active aging was supposed to be. Ah, it's so hard. Um, Italy is the same as the US in terms of like people in politics. Um, many of them are really old. And even if they're not old, they've been in politics for most of their lives and they have no intention of living their their their, their uh, place to anyone else. And it's, as you were saying, you're, it's not just a matter of politics, it's a matter of um, industries, um, firms. I can see it with like my, my um, boyfriend, he has a group of firms and uh, they're like they're still struggling with his father because he's is now um, coming of age, and and now it's time for the younger generation to come in, and and they're struggling with it. And I think it's a, I think it's, a, but I don't want a mistake. So people who are listening to me, and if they have any other knowledge about it, just please feel free to share. But I think it's a really a matter of identity and how you attach yourself to the position that you hold the the work that you do so that even if you are 80 years old and you might happily be retired with your dogs in a book you 
if you don't have your job or your position, if you're not senator, if you're not mayor or whatever, even if you're 80 years old, at one point you ask yourself, who am I going to be? And you realize that by stopping doing what you're doing or having your position of power or having your position in, uh, in your job, you, you start doing, you start realizing that maybe you're not that needed. And if you're not that needed, then what's your point in life? And maybe you start realizing that you actually don't have that much life left. Mm. So I really feel it's a matter of identity in the sense that um, First of all, they lack the elasticity to want to imagine their position being different because I'm just, I'm not saying that you don't have to work anymore. I'm saying live the position of power to someone younger and then you mentor those people yes. because I love to have a mentor in politics. I don't, I'm not, I'm not having any I would love, if any politician out there listening, I would love a mentor in politics. I'm not finding any because those people that could mentor me, they are so much still into politics and entrenched and, and having power position that I am competing against them, which is crazy because they could empower me so much and probably do even more through me because I have the energy, I have the time, whatever. But they're still there holding their seats yeah. because they can't imagine themselves doing anything else. And so I don't know how you change it. I, I still think that it's a matter like of time. And if you start developing those generations now, but even like people like me or even older, like 40, 50 years old people that have still time in front of them and help them realize that you're not your job. You're not your position. You're not your power. You're not any of these things. Mm-hmm. That's why say that it's so important one to work on yourself i know that if tomorrow i had not to be deputy mayor anymore i'd be perfectly happy anyhow because i'm a per- like i'm a full human being beyond having a position in politics but not so many people in politics are aware of that so the more we work on making those people aware of who they are as people the more we have hope that current generation and next generation will have even more freedom to let mental freedom to let other people take their place. Yeah. Yes. I have to say, I I do see what you're describing played out in so many different areas, not just in politics, but in business enterprises and government organizations. And it is to me, there's such an amazing wisdom that people who are further along in life can potentially offer back to previous generations. And I remember a few years ago, a friend of mine turned 60 and she said to me, she said, Lisa, 60 is amazing. She said, I no longer care what anybody thinks about me. I don't feel like I have to prove myself to anyone. And and her name's Anne and she's had just an amazing, amazing life and incredibly successful as a professional. And I was listening to her and I said, Anne, I don't, I don't want to wait till I'm 60 to get to that place that you're describing. How can you help me <laughs> get there sooner? Right. And that that's what I feel like we need. 
Yes. Oh my gosh. I would have asked the same question to your friend. Like, why do you need to get out and wait until 60? Please can come. Can someone come and help me out and understanding how can I do it right now? Because I'm trying to like, I'm trying to leave as your friend is leaving now, like now that I'm 30 years old, but it's so hard. And I feel that if someone would have helped me a little tiny bit, not to be, to feel so alone in my journey and to understand how to get this knowledge a little bit faster, or this would have been even just to concentrate more on what I want to do for my community. This would have been a life changer. Yet I'm playing it all along, and I'm happy, and I'm like I'm super lucky and fortunate that I have friends like uh, Noel, like, and we have conversation like this where we can you can actually take the time to think about your journey and take a step back from problems and whatever, and really like go deep dive into it. But I'm lucky. And again, I don't think that this should be left to the lack of people and the, the, the network that they have and the connection that they have. So if we just had like a little bit more exchange of knowledge, mentoring from those people who are held in position of power and could be mentoring other people, life would be so making life easier. That's a way to make life easier. So here's That's the, difficult. Yes. Here's an idea that just comes to my mind in parallel to the education for young people entering the politician world. What if there was a parallel education for people who are older and helping them see what it means to be a mentor? Because because maybe it's just some of it people don't know, but what if there was education for shifting into this role of being mentors? That's such a great idea. Uh, I have no idea how to develop it. Like, I always work with younger people, never work with older ones, but I'll, I'll, that's such, that's a really good idea. I'll figure something out. I'll discuss it with the group. I have no idea how. Like, it's always been, I've always been patronized by older and then mainly men because politics is mainly masculine. So, you know, you patron, you're patronized one, twice, three times, and at one point you're like, you know what? I don't need it. That's okay. And then you just move on. But there must be people out there that are trying to understand like what can their future be of not in a position of power, older people. And I guess this could be something that could resonate with them as well. Yeah. One other question I would love to ask you, and you just touched on it here with identifying the, the, the strong masculine presence in in politics and the fact that the majority of our politicians around the world are men. Fortunately, this there's there's changes, right? And they're they're small and sometimes I wish they could happen faster. But I'm curious of, yeah, a little bit about your experience as a woman and and how specifically we I feel so passionate as a woman to support other women. And and how can we, what are some practical ways that we as women can really come together and support each other? That's a really good point. Um, I'm still trying to understand how to leave my experience as a politician and as a woman. Um, so in my experience, I'm still struggling like a lot. I'll give you a great example. You are very often, very often sexualized, very often. Um, a stupid example. I had a journalist that wrote. I, I didn't ask for anything, of course, but 
um, there was like a debate in my region going on about the next um, president of the region. And this journalist, national journalist, he wrote a piece on our regional newspaper saying that for, se for se several reasons, they should have made me president of the region. Of course, it was like a provocation. Um, he was provoking a thought, it, like uh, nobody thought this for real, but he wrote really nice thing about me. So the, the, the same night of the article, I went to the municipality and I met my counselors. And one of them, he came to me and he was like, you must have had sex with him to have uh, this article written. And I didn't even know the guy. Wow. And it's, this is one. You have no idea how many times I had a shirt that had like my, um, so it was like a open shirt. Um, and I had so many people just like looking at my breast mm. and while I was looking at them, looking at my breast, they were keep looking. So they kept looking. Yeah. Or um and this is like constant or like i don't know sexual slangs or um those you know those are the heavy thing that you have the lightest thing like oh you're nice the way you put your makeup on today or uh, oh can you be so nice and be so smart at the same time or i don't know you know you you can imagine all of this kind of things and the reason why I'm struggling is because I don't know how to respond. Yeah. Nobody taught, nobody ever taught me how to respond because on the one end you would like to tell them this off or like this, you, like this is not acceptable or, and be tough and make yourself be respected. But on the other hand, you know that your position depends on this man. Mm -hmm. This man do not like you, then they're not going to vote for the things that you want to do yeah. and if they're not gonna vote then have your hands tied so you have you are right in the middle of an harassment and rather than you know pointing out that this is an harassment and making them feeling guilty about it you're feeling guilty with yourself because you don't know how to respond so it's like a double stress yeah on the one end the person harassing you and the other side you beating up yourself because you don't know how to respond and what you sh what should you do can you respond what if they're not going to vote next time because you said something wrong mm -hmm. so i so for example when you ask me what can we what can we women do with each other to make things easier i would love from someone that has already been there to tell me how can i behave to feel good with myself because when I say to the, when I don't say to this man shut up I'm feeling bad with myself but also not risking my objectives my goal things that I'm doing for my community this is crazy if you think about it not risking any of it because I said something wrong to a man that implied that I had sex with an artist yeah there's such a complexity to it and there's this is one of the areas that i i look at and i think there's there's not an easy answer 
there's no, unfortunately, there's no magic wand for us just to wave the magic wand and make everything, the sexist comments and prejudices go away. And I also am thinking this, this is, this is something that I say, how can we make it less difficult, right? Like it's not going to get easy right away, but what can we do to make it a little less difficult? And like you're saying, to have someone who is further along, who has experienced this and figured out a strategy to effectively manage, to be able to share with you and other younger women, again, it doesn't make it, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy for you, but it can be less difficult. And okay, well, I'm going to try these strategies. I'm going to, you know, there's a couple different ways that this person has adjusted and and responded. And so I'm going to try that. And then I might develop some of my own strategies in addition to that and be able to pass them along as well. And and I really, I feel passionate that we as women need to, to figure out how to support each other. And then also call in men who are willing to be allies for us as well and support us on this part of the journey. Yes, 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 absolutely. I mean, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, especially like when you come from places like mine where you you know men are not not even not taught, but they don't even think about themselves as allied because they think that it's a struggle that doesn't touch them. Mm-hmm. Um but I agree with you. I we there should be a way for us women to connect more and also some easy strategy to like have more men become un, becoming ally or at least make them understand like struggle. It's not just for women. Because on the other side they're suffering of this toxic masculinity as well. Um, But it's harder to make them understand it because it's such a profound system of beliefs, especially when you come from places like, I don't know, the US or the South of Italy, um, that you need first to like crush their own beliefs and then rebuild on them. Um, But it's it's a fearful journey if you've never done it. So... Um, for anyone out there, if anyone has like an easy toolkit for us or want to connect, please feel free. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it, and it brings me back around to what you have talked about throughout our conversation of knowing oneself, knowing mm-hmm. the greater purpose in each of our lives, knowing our values. Um, because I, 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 I think that when we each as individuals go on that journey to know ourselves, we have less of that hateful interaction and jealousy and competitive um, sparring between each other. You hit the point. I agree so much with this statement. And this is also why I'm like thinking about moving into coaching because I realized that when people know themselves and they align their themselves, their values to their purpose, and their lives follow this purpose, then they don't have the need of feeling jealous or feeling hateful or you know doing things 
because they want to feel, I don't know, they want to have more power, more money. You don't need it because you realize that all of these things that are not aligned with your purpose, but you're looking for are just to fill in the void of not knowing what you really want. Yeah. When you know what you really want and you work for it, all the rest magically instantly disappear. It's tough. Not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not even saying that it's always like this. Of course, there are things I would like to be, I don't know, president of the region because life would be so easier and I would have a, a driver for and a car, like a new car and a driver. Of course, that sounds nice. And more money to buy more horses. Of course, that sounds nice. But at the end of the day, what am I going to do with it? Does it align me with my purpose of changing the way which politics is done? No. Will it make me happy at the end of the day? Well, probably the more horses, yes, but not really being the president of the region and because I want to have a new car. So when, I don't know, I, it feels like magic, but it's not. It's like really something achievable. If you are able to do the work on yourself and it's doable, like it, 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 even it might cost money. You might have to hire a coach. It's worth it. And you might have to go to therapy. It's worth it because this is the only way in which you can free yourself from everything is not you that it's burdening you down and it's chaining you down to someone who you are not yeah yeah but Rika, this has been such a delight to be in conversation with you and i feel like we could continue and i want to continue so i would love to have you back for another conversation here on the podcast in the future and also this time together today has just been incredibly meaningful and incredibly special. And I'm so grateful. Thank you. I'm so grateful. It's, I think it's one of the best conversations I've had in such a long time. Um, I really hope that like who's hearing is going to find comfort or help or support or anything. And I mean, if they want to connect, I'm here. But really, thanks a lot, Lisa, for this opportunity. It was amazing. Thank you. Well, and in that spirit of connection, I can put links in the show notes, but um, it's okay if someone wants to reach out to you, connect with you. Of course. Of course. I'd love that. I'd love that. Excellent. And we'll we'll put connection information in the show notes so people can figure out how to find you there. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's conversation and episode of the Make Life Less Difficult podcast. Editing is done by Joseph Burdock. Artwork is by Emma Burdock. I'd be honored if you took a moment to share this with a friend and or leave us a review. Together, I truly believe we can make life less difficult.